What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Coming off of a significant week in sports, and listen, kind of got crappy with the timing here because I only put out the pod once a week, obviously, and Game 7 of the Stanley Cup was last Wednesday, and then that finals ended on Thursday. So it's been a week for both to be in the, the news cycle and everything that's happened. Both parades have already happened, but... A congratulations to the St. Louis Blues for beating the Boston Bruins. Thank you, thank you, thank you in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup. And, of course, the Toronto Raptors dethroning the Golden State Warriors in six games of the NBA Finals. It it came at a cost for the Warriors. You have to feel for them a little bit. Uh, Durant, obviously, going down with his Achilles injuries. Injury, We talked. I talked about that. And now Clay Thompson in Game 7 late in Game 7, uh, going down with a knee injury and then later confirmed that he tore his ACL, which I it's 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 tough. I wrote a whole blog about it. You can go check it out on my WordPress, my blog, uh, about the Warriors being dethroned, but at what cost? That's kind of, the that's the, the, whatever, the title of the blog that I wrote. So you can go check that out, and I go into more depth about that. Uh, but I need to acknowledge that the I need to acknowledge the NBA and NHL uh, finals, of course. There's basketball news, of course, and the Anthony Davis trade. Uh, there's some drama with the, or I mean, apparently there's not, but there was first reported drama with the Rockets and CP3 and James Harden, and then now apparently there isn't any. But we'll go over that, and then right before I came on t- uh, to record for this. The Jazz traded for Mike Conley from Memphis. Uh, I'll get into that, but I want to talk about the Anthony Davis trade first and where I was when that happened. So Saturday, I was at Barstool at the ballpark, um, and it was it was it was fun. It was a nice, fun event. Um, a couple of the ball uh, the Barstool personalities were there. Whatever, uh, hung out with them. The game was. Uh, I mean, I'm glad I'm not like. Listen, I like being. I like the Mets, and I was pretending to be a Met fan the whole night, like a diehard Met fan the whole night. So it was kind of funny, but I do like the Mets. It's not like I I want them to lose, I want them to struggle, I want them to be in this this purgatory forever where their owner is just god awful, not willing to spend money, and then the contracts that they do spend money on, all the players get hurt. Injuries, blah, blah, blah. They've just been stuck in this purgatory for years, decades. And I do feel bad. I want the Mets to be successful. And just seeing what every night, what it probably is to be a Mets fan, it's just, I'm so glad that I have the Yankees, man. I'm so glad. Because the Mets scored five runs in the first inning. They scored five runs in the first inning, and then... It ended up they were winning eight to two, and the seventh inning Noah Syndergaard he pitching great, great outing for him. He comes out in the seventh inning with a hamstring injury. He is now currently on the ten day IL. So he comes out with the injury, and then the bullpen takes over, and everyone it, it was just like this collective. It was literally like that meme. Ah shit, here we go again from GTA. It's. Nuts. Everyone in the building 
everyone in City Field had the same same thought process. Like, holy shit. Like, we're we're probably not gonna win this game. You're they're up eight to th- I think it was eight to three. And everyone knew that they were still in jeopardy of losing. It's a five-run lead, and you can't trust your bullpen. And what happens? The Cardinals start hitting. They start hitting, stringing together. They get a couple runs in. All of a sudden, it's eight to four. Then it's eight to five. Then it's eight to six. Then it's eight to seven. And now it's the top of the ninth. And you get this little herky-jerky pop-up. Into no man's land. Conforto couldn't get it. McNeil couldn't get it. It drops. Uh, I don't know who was on second base for the Cardinals, but they come running around third. McNeil throws a dart to home plate. The tag for the final out of the game, and everyone, it's just a collective exhale in the stadium. And it was... um, I, I could not go through that every night. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I went with my friend Pete, who was on the pod uh, once before, where we talked about the MLB awards from last season. So I was with him, and he is a diehard Mets fan. And it's just, I, I can't I can't even fathom what he goes through on a night-by-night basis with that team. It is just, Edwin Diaz went from being untouchable. Every American League team, any fan of an American League team will tell you, he was untouchable last year like he came in door sealed shut now for the Mets I don't know what he can he can't go an outing without allowing like a run or men on base it's always a panic attack and I've watched the Mets enough to see all this I'm not just going based off highlights that I see or what people tell me I have watched the Mets enough to see this happen firsthand And earlier in the year, he was a guy who they were in Citizens Bank Park playing the Phillies, and he struck out Harper, or who was it? It was um, Hoskins, Harper, and Real Muto. One, two, three. Struck them all out. And, like, that's the guy that the Mets thought they were getting, and then now he's, he's, like, being compared to I don't even I don't even know. Armando Benitez. That is terrible. He's probably the the worst closer I could think of. Even I don't even want to say Billy Wagner. Billy Wagner had his moments. But he's he's a bad closer. He's not doing well this year. His whip is all the way up. And that's not something you want for a guy who pitches an inning. Anyway, that was my Barstool at the ballpark experience. It was fun. A lot of beer. Good seats. At least me, me and Pete had good seats. Uh, a free meal. It's a good time. It's a good time. Anyway, while we were there, uh, I don't remember if it was... I think it was before the game started. So it was probably around like 6, 6.30. Uh, everyone starts chattering about. They get the same alert on the phone as I did. And Anthony Davis was traded to the Los Angeles Lakers... Finally, everyone was waiting for it to happen. It finally did. And the Lakers, they traded the house for AD. Uh, They traded Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, the number four pick in tomorrow's NBA draft, and two additional first-round picks. 
Now, the big takeaway here is the first-round pick and the three players, of course. The two additional first-round picks probably don't mean much in uh, the grand scheme of things just because the Lakers are probably going to be at least one of those first-round picks. The Lakers are going to be good enough to where it's not that great. But I think that that additional first-round pick, um, I think it might be in like 2023. If I remember correctly, that pick might be worth something because LeBron is probably not going to be as formidable as he is now in four more years. I mean, he'll be 37, 38. I don't know how much you can expect from him then. Granted, he is LeBron James, keeps himself in excellent shape, but father time is undefeated. Anyway, the Pelicans get all that. Lakers get Anthony Davis and automatically become one of the front runners to win the finals next season. We'll talk about the Lakers first and then the Pelicans side of things. So the Lakers get Anthony Davis, like I said, they become one of the favorites. They retain Kyle Kuzma, which I think a lot of people mark that. I mean, that's a huge win for the Lakers. They get Anthony Davis, and they keep Kyle Kuzma. Kuzma has been the most proven and the most competent young player that the Lakers have that he's proved that he can score the basketball. He's a reliable offensive player. His defense needs some work, but he has a good frame. He's a big dude. That just comes with, you know, determination and practice and He'll be a, a, a solid defensive player when he puts his mind to it. He's already a good offensive player. Jump shot's a little inconsistent, but he's good at getting to the to the rack. So people mark that up as a win to keep Kuzma. You trade Ball, who, I mean, his he still has a good upside, but he just hasn't shown any significant improvement. Brandon Ingram, same thing. Everyone thinks both these players have huge potential upside and... Brandon Ingram, he's long, he's pretty athletic, but he he has he's he gets bullied. I mean, he's just not a strong guy. The rebounding numbers for someone who is as long and athletic and as tall as him for his position are just not there. Again, an inconsistent jumper for him too. Lonzo Ball, built point guard. Perfect build for a, a good point guard. He's athletic, he's tall, he's long. He's proven that he can be an excellent defender in the NBA. But again, inconsistent jump shot. Virtually unreliable jump shot for him. Uh, so the Lakers get rid of those two guys, and they keep Kuzma. And now you're looking at a team who whose next move is probably to sign another free agent. I mean, they can create the cap space if they want but if they do and they sign an extra another top tier free agent uh to i would assume what would be a max contract th- that's it they'll have lebron anthony davis kyle kuzma whatever free agent they sign and then just like veteran mim- minimum role player guys that's all that's all they would have. 
they wouldn't be able to go out and sign, you know, reliable role players for 10 mil a year or something like that. You you couldn't do it. Which is what I would do. I wouldn't if I'm the Lakers, does the the idea of signing like Kyrie Irving or Kemba Walker sound promising to pair with LeBron and Anthony Davis? Yeah, it does. But at the same time, in today's NBA, we've seen what, what how important depth is. Right? The Warriors just got exposed by the Toronto Raptors because they weren't deep enough to compete with them. They had their, the four starting... This is what the, the Lakers would be looking at. Well, minus Kyle Kuzma. But the Warriors had Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, four All-Stars and future Hall of Famers. Durant goes down. Klay Thompson misses a game, and then he misses the end of game six. And all of a sudden, all this weight is put on Steph Curry, who simply, I mean, you put bodies on him, and he's done. And there was no one else on the floor that could shoot. So there you go. Then the Raptors neutralized the Warriors by bodying Steph Curry and daring someone else to shoot and beat them, and no one could. They just simply were not deep enough to compete with Toronto Raptors, and that's what the Lakers would be looking at. You can't, it's like, yes, LeBron is amazing. Anthony Davis is amazing. If they sign Kyrie or Kemba, great. Both of those players are very good. But if you have no bench to give those guys, if as, as soon as one of those guys leaves the court, it could prove to be a problem. You have to have two of them on the court at all times, and that might prove to be a problem. Fatigue-wise, Running deep into the season, deep into the playoffs, injuries can happen. Fatigue happens. It's dangerous to have that kind of lineup. And there, listen, there have been teams that have done that, but it doesn't really work out that much, like that often. I would be, I think it would be smarter for the Lakers to go out and sign a bunch of role guys who can shoot threes and defend. Just go out and sign, instead of signing a max player for whatever, however fucking much money, much money go out and sign like three 3-and-D three guys. Guys who can defend and shoot from beyond the arc, and you're set. LeBron can pretty much be your point guard, right? Th- freaking throw Alex Caruso out there. Who cares? Right? It doesn't matter. He can shoot threes a little bit. But LeBron is essentially your main ball handler. He'll dish it out to Kyle Kuzma. He'll dish it out to Anthony Davis. If he wants to play off ball, Crusoe isn't god-awful. But go out and sign guys who can spread the floor and play defense. That's all you need. I don't think you necessarily need a third star. Especially with the Warriors losing Durant and possibly Klay Thompson for all of next year. Durant in free agency, Thompson just because of his injury. It is certainly possible to make a deep playoff run with just LeBron and Anthony Davis and Kyle Kuzma. Now for the Pelicans. I think the Pelicans are going to be very exciting. 
they have a lot of athleticism. Uh, tomorrow in the NBA draft, they're going to take Zion Williamson, number one overall. So you're looking at a starting five, potentially, of Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and to be named because Julius Randle left. And Julius Randle wouldn't be a center anyway, but uh, they don't really technically have a center right now, I don't think. But you got that, that's a, a very young, good core of four players. Plus the number four overall pick, whoever that may be. Right now, I think the mock draft, any all pretty much most mock drafts have Jarrett Culver, shooting guard from Texas Tech, coming out and being selected by the Pelicans, which the fine that's a fine pick. Uh, but the Pelicans are looking very talented and very young for the foreseeable future. If Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram excel. Not you don't have to, no Excel is a that's a a tall task. Just improve, be more consistent, get the shooting numbers up, take smarter shots. I think that's probably the best bet for the Pelicans. But I listen, they're gonna be fun to play with in two K. <laughs> I'll tell you that they definitely will be fun to play in two K. Um, other let's. Mm, talk about the jazz trade or let's go with the jazz trade first because we're talking about trades so the jazz again i said uh opening up before i hopped on here the jazz traded for memphis point guard mike conley longtime memphis point guard mike conley he'll probably get his number up in the rafters there in memphis after he is retired good player little aging yeah, he's 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 getting up there. He's probably only has about like three years left, maybe. Um, huge contract, which I think expire it expires after this year. The Memphis Grizzlies were testing the waters this past season on on trades for him. No one took the bait. Now he has an expiring contract. The Jazz pulled the trigger, traded for Mike Conley. They give up Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, and the twenty third overall pick. In tomorrow's draft, plus a future first. Both sides, I think, came out pretty good in this trade. I think it was a even trade. I think both sides got what they wanted. The Jazz got a... No offense to Ricky Rubio. Uh, no offense to Ricky Rubio. Doesn't really turn the ball over that much. Makes good passes, but still... he's got He's improved his jumper significantly, but still not a huge offensive threat. Mike Conley fixes that. He has all the things Ricky Rubio has. Plus, he is an offensive, a high, he's an above average offensive player. And then the Jazz, so they fill that role. And then the Grizzlies get Grayson Allen, who he spent most of this season in the G League for Utah. Lit it up in the G League. He excelled. I mean, he was uh, a man amongst boys most nights in the G League. Didn't get much t uh, time up in Utah. Just it was they had a a pretty deep roster. Just didn't seem to to fit in that rotation with them, which is why they sent him to the G League because they didn't want him rotting away on the bench. They wanted giving they wanted to give him real in game minutes. And uh, like I said, he did pretty well in the G League. They get Jay Crowder, who is 
uh, experienced veteran, very good. Again, like I said, the Lakers should go get these guys. Jay Crowder, 3 and D guy. Kyle Korver, of course, up there in age, but can still shoot the lights out of the ball. And the 23rd overall pick, which it's nice, but I don't know how much talent. This draft is very top-heavy. So I think once the lot, once you get past the lottery, it's going to be almost kind of diamond in the rough kind of thing. I don't think this draft is that deep, but it is super top heavy. And a future first, which, well, you know, future firsts or whatever. We'll see how that, how that pans out. But I think both sides end up good. You know, the Jazz didn't give up. They got what they wanted, which is a, a smart veteran experienced point guard. And they didn't give up key pieces to get them. And Memphis, they stay relatively young. Corver and Crowder, uh, I think they might be unrestricted free agents after this year. Grayson Allen's very young, and they get two draft picks. It's perfect. And Memphis, they'll probably take John Morant with the number two overall pick in the draft. Pair him with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., you're looking nice. You're looking nice. I think that's a uh, a fair trade for both sides. Now, other last bit, last bit of NBA news, and then we'll talk more about uh, some baseball because I want to talk about baseball. The Rockets and their whole drama going on. There were reports that CP3 and James Harden were beefing and that their relationship had turned into something that was quote quote unquote unsalvageable which strong word to use uh CP3 commented I think it was on Bleacher Report they had I don't know if they first reported it but they posted something on their Instagram and CP3 commented oh this is news to me and apparently, it's not true. Uh, Daryl Morey, I think his name is, the GM for the Rockets, he came out and said, not true at all. And so the reports were that this this relationship had soured relatively uh, quickly and it was unsalvageable, couldn't be helped. CP3 wanted a trade and all this hoopla about the Rockets trying to trade him. Uh, apparently none of it is true. So that's a whole mess. And you hate to see it because the Rockets are actively they're actively trying to trade a lot of their pieces. And not necessarily blow it up, but they're gonna have to reload. And you got Chris Paul who's what is he, turning 34, 35? 34, I think. Yeah. 34 sounds right. I think he's a couple years younger than LeBron. But he's turning 34, and James Harden is, what, 30? You don't necessarily have all the time in the world, you know? <laughs> you got to try and make moves now. It's a difficult situation. Uh, I think, unfortunately, the Rockets, their run of... Uh, being like the second dog out of the West behind the Warriors 
like it has been for the past couple years. I think that's over. I, I don't I don't think that's a hot take. I, I think a lot of people probably agree with me on that. Uh just because of first what I said and secondly them actively trying to trade everyone that's kind of a a tell that what they have isn't working. D'Antoni is not getting he's not going his contract's not going to be renewed. This is his last year and I wouldn't be surprised if they just fire him like a couple months into the season. They could be nice and just let him play out his last year and then start it up again with someone else, but it is clear that while his offensive system it's been like it's been like this for years with Mike D'Antoni. Years where his offensive system works in the regular season, but in the playoffs, you can't run the same pace. The playoffs, everything gets slowed down. You have to be more methodical in half-court offenses. So with Phoenix, he had the seven-second and less offense, which revolutionized basketball at the time. And now with Houston, you have threes and layups. The whole, anything inside the arc, the mid-range game, anything inside the arc and outside the paint was the forbidden zone. The amount of times I watched Houston Rockets basketball and James Harden would beat his guy off the dribble and be able to get to the rack for a layup and or get fouled, but instead he passes it out to P.J. Tucker or Aaron or Eric Gordon or someone else in the corner and they're not like wide open and they get it's good rotation on defense by the other team and then they just have to swing it around and do it all over again and then the shot clock is low and you take a bad shot. The amount of times I saw that was staggering, especially in the playoffs. It was magnified by like 10. Like at some point, if you're James Harden or Chris Paul, Chris Paul, you saw against the Warriors. Uh, yeah, against the Warriors, he started taking mid-range jump shots. He started taking elbow, you know, 13, 12 to 13, 14 foot jump shots and nailing them because that's Chris Paul's game. He's an excellent mid-range shooter. But because he's on the Rockets, all that was kind of taken away, which is why the whole Mellow experiment didn't really work out either. Mello, his game has never been predicated on the three ball. He was, you know, I'm going to bang you up inside. I'm going to post you up. I'm going to hit my fadeaways that you can't guard. I'm going to do pull up. I'm going to dribble around, blow by you, and pull up for a mid-range jumper because that's what I'm comfortable doing. His whole game, into the trash in today's NBA. Into the trash. Didn't work. Well, not that it didn't work. People didn't want it because any listen. I'll I'll be the I'll admit it, and also analytics will back anything that what I'm about to say, hundred percent backs it up. Mid range jump shots are inefficient. They're inefficient jump shots. You're in between. It's only two points, and if you miss, it's a bad shot. Right? Just take a couple feet more out. Shoot a three instead. Because if you make it, three points. If you don't, it's still a miss. Whatever. And then 
If you're taking a two-point jump shot, might as well just try and get in the paint and get a layup. It's just the the, the long twos, the, the pull-up jumpers, inefficient, which a lot of guys nowadays in the past that we look at fondly, Allen Iverson, Kobe, all them, right? Those big-time scorers, Tracy McGrady even, they might not. I mean, even Melo now was long. He stayed around long enough to see it happen to him. Their shooting might not, or their their play style becomes obsolete. One thing I like to point out now is Allen Iverson. One of his most famous things is the cross up on Ty Lue in the finals. Drains the jumper and then steps over him. That was like he didn't care what he was on the floor. He was on the wing, dribbled around Ty Lue, broke his ankles, pulled up. For a very, very long two. Like, his feet were on the line. Like, he was stepping directly on the line and shot the two and nailed it. That is an inefficient shot. If you're a foot further behind, that's a three-point shot. But he doesn't care. That's the point. A lot of these players, everyone, you know, the coaches and everyone, they drill into their head that it's, you know, threes or die. And that's something that the Warriors really, I mean, they revolutionized because they... But it's weird because people don't realize, or it seems that head coaches don't realize that they don't have the two greatest shooters to ever walk the planet on their team in Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Like, they could take deep threes. They can take pretty much whatever jump shot on the court that they want. And it's a good shot because they are the best shooters alive. Other teams don't seem to understand that you might have to work like the Raptors did. They didn't. They took a lot of threes, but they also. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, mid-range assassin. Kyle Lowry hit some mid-range shots. Marcus All has a post-up game. Pascal Siakam, mid-range shots. These are all guys who they've operated in the mid-range. Kawhi Leonard is. I mean, he is like the epitome of that. He loves taking pull-up. You know, post-up mid-range jumpers. And they're good for him because he nails them at such a high percentage. Kawhi is efficient at it. Not everyone's Kawhi Leonard. I went on a huge tangent. I don't even know what I was talking about. What was I saying? Something about Rockets drama. (laughs) Uh, I would like to see the Rockets go out and sign a free agent. I don't know. Don't even get me started on who the hell they would sign. I really don't know. Um, there's a couple of unrestricted free agents out there. Their future is a, a little hazy as of right now, to be honest. Anyway, I want to talk about the Yankees. Okay, let's let's move on. Talk about the Yankees. Uh, they traded for Edwin Encarnacion for like some minor league pitcher who you know bag of chips, whatever, doesn't matter. Cashman got him from Seattle, and suddenly, I mean, the Yankees are just, they are just stacked through and through. It's its a little obnoxious, uh, assuming that they, they do really well. Listen, I do feel bad. This is the, what I want to talk about is Clint Frazier. He had a pretty upsetting interview um you know he was he was mad I'll see if I could play it on here hold on if I can pull it up but he felt like you know he had contributed 
well to the Yankees this season. And for him, you know, he got the short end of the stick when they acquired Edwin Encarnacion. They needed to send someone down, and Frazier happened to be the guy. And it's tough. He was doing really well, hitting about 380. No, not 380. 380, wow. 280. 11 homers. Uh, you know, he got option to AAA. Here, here's the soundbite. Let's see if I can. Clint, with how well you've swung the bat, were you surprised that this move was made this afternoon? Yeah, pretty surprised. What, did, what was the message Aaron Boone sent to you when he, when he said you were heading down? This is the reality of things, you know? So I guess I'm facing reality right now. Is that difficult to digest? It's a tough pill to swallow, yeah. I mean, it's, it's never fun, especially with how much I felt like I've contributed to this team this year. When they acquired Encarnacion, did you think that you could be a victim of the numbers game? Not, not because of Encarnacion, but maybe because of Judge or Stanton. Do you feel like you've proven something in your time up here? Do you feel like you've shown what you wanted to show? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kenny? Yeah, Clint, do you feel like the numbers game, may, like you, while you've assured a, a major league future that it, it, there might not be here, you know, that you might be a, a trade ship? been traded once, so, you know, who knows? I mean, I can't control that. I just try to play as good as I can to put myself in a good position. And you can hear the absolute defeat in his voice. I posted that on Twitter, or I, I like, retweeted it with a comment uh, saying, you know, God damn, he is pissed. Tough break. And my buddy was commenting, saying, it seemed like he was taking it very personally, and that he sounds kind of selfish in saying that, you know, I. It, it's almost like he's saying, you know, I don't really, I, I've, I've contributed to this team more than some of the other guys on here. I don't understand why I'm the one being sent down. That's kind of what it, it sounded like he was saying. I'm not putting words in his mouth, but I could tell he's pissed. I would be pissed too. Listen, Edwin Encarnacion, aging guy, he's hitting like 240. He's tied or he's leading the American League in home runs. That's his. That's his only upside. Can't really field, or he's not. You know, a plus fielder, but he can hit homers. And I feel bad for Clint Frazier. I really, really, really do, man. Because I love Clint. I loved him, man. I thought he was, he was excelling into someone that, or he was excelling into the guy, the player that. The Yankees wanted that the Yankees traded for. You know, he he was awesome. I really I really liked him, and I would have loved to see him in uh, in a Yankees uniform for a, a while. And I'm talking what I just said. It sounded like he's you know gone forever. He's not. He's just in AAA. I think he'll make a return. I I have I I want him to make a return. I should have said, but I do feel like. You know, I have a strong feeling that he'll probably be a centerpiece in some sort of trade. Little chirpings around that uh, Scherzer, because the Nationals have been struggling, um, they're not doing well this year. They don't look like they'll have a team ready to compete 
for you know the foreseeable future. They have a, a couple young guys there that are very good, but just not enough to compete right now. So there are whispers that Scherzer, who is, what, 34? And maybe even Rendon, whether they get traded separately or as a package, they could be on the move. Yankees acquiring Encarnacion. Maybe they end up trading for or making at least an attempt to trade Scherzer. Who knows? But this was the Yankees lineup last night with... Uh, or is this today? No, it's today. The game's on now. Um, this is the Yankees lineup today. It was a little different last night, but it's LeMahieu, Voigt. LeMahieu at second, Voigt at first, Sanchez behind the plate, Encarnacion, DH, Hicks center field, Torres shortstop, Maben right field, Urshela third base, Gardner left field, CC on the mound. Last night it was a little different. I think LeMahieu was at third, DD. And Didi and Sanchez were, uh, Didi, sorry, Didi and Stanton were, are notably not in the lineup tonight. Uh, so it was LeMahieu was at third, Didi was at short, Glaber was at second, uh, Stanton was in right, and Encarnacion was the DH. So you, Stanton and Didi getting the, the night day back to back. They're getting the days off, of course, both of them. Recently coming off the DL, so smart move by Boone. Throw Gardner in there. And Maben starting. Maben was in left last night. He moves over to right, Gardner to left. And Sanchez moves over to short. LeMayu to second. Urshela off the bench into third. So, you, I mean, that's depth. You'll love to see it. It's a good problem to have if you're the Yankees. Because you're saying, you know, what happens when all these guys come back? You know, guys like Frazier and Urshela... And even Cameron Maben now. Guys who have been producing for the Yankees for, you know, a few months now. Maben more recently. But Urshela and even like LeMahieu to an extent, producing all season for the Yankees. What happens when Judge comes back now? Because Judge is another guy. They're dealing it with dealing first it came up with Didi and they had to deal with deal with it a little bit. Now Stanton adds a little bit more complication. They trade for Encarnacion even more. Now Judge is going to come back within the week, I think. By the end of the week, he should be back. And those are all guys who, I mean, Stan and Judge, they should be playing every day. They have to be playing every day. So we already saw what happened with the Encarnacion trade. Frazier got the short end of the stick. He gets stepped down to AAA. What happens when... You know, Didi is going to have to be playing full-time eventually. Right now, it's a little bit easier because you're trying to ease him back into things. So playing day, you know, uh, night, day, back-to-backs, sitting him is a pretty, you know, that's an easy option. But eventually, he's going to be playing these. So who gets the short end of the stick? LeMahieu has been incredible this year. Incredible, especially with runners in scoring position, and that's something that the Yankees need. His bat needs to be in the lineup. For me, Urshela and Maben are probably getting the short, short ends of the stick here. Uh, Maben has homered in four straight games. I think it, it's been. So that's... That's kind of nuts. Uh, Urshela, again, a guy 
cooled down a little bit, but still has been very productive for the Yankees. Also, excellent glove at third base. I think when it's all said and done, your starting lineup looks something like, you know, so uh, it's it's tough because Stanton's not the best left fielder. He's more comfortable in right. But I think when it's all said and done, what has to happen is Stanton left, Hicks in center, Judge in right, LeMahieu at third, Didi at short, Glaber at first, Voigt's, uh, Glaber at second, Voigt at first, Encarnacion's the DH, Sanchez behind the plate, and that's it. You call it a day. And then you got Gardner, Mabin, Urshela all coming off the bench. Encarnacion hit his first home run as a Yankee last night, by the way, over the short porch. I'd rather keep Frazier if we could because I think Encarnacion is, I hope he's a free agent. Let's see his contract. He has a 2020, so after this season, he has a 2020 club option that includes a $5 million buyout. Hopefully, I think the Yankees, there's no way he uh, they pay him $20 million at 37 years old. There's no way. So this is a one-time rental, a one-year rental for the Yanks. Um, probably buy him out, which is good. <laughs> like, listen, you get him, you get him for this year. He hits homers for you. That's you end up winning some games. Great, I'm okay with that. Uh, but I don't want you can't get a 37 year old on this roster, not with this many power hitters and this many opportunities for young players to come up and improve and improve your ball club. There's no way they keep him. Uh, Frazier, I mean, Maben probably doesn't stay. I don't know what his contract is. Um, but Maben probably doesn't stay. I want Frazier full-time, man. Guardy, I love you, Guardy. You're the heart and soul of this team. I love you. You're the leader. But, like, goddamn, he's probably retiring. He it just isn't producing like he should be. So, therefore, he's getting the short end of the stick here. A, a, a perfect lineup for me in a dream scenario where no one's getting cucked, right? No one's going to get cucked. Frazier in left. Hicks in center, Judge in right, Stanton's the DH, Void at first, uh, Glaber at second, Didi in short, LeMahieu at third, Sanchez behind the plate. Maybe you trade Urshela. Yeah, I mean, you probably trade Urshela. Trade him to the Mets. They need a third baseman. Todd Frazier just isn't getting it done. <laughs> Trade Gio Shella to the Mets. I know the Mets would never do business with the Yankees, which is like the dumbest thing ever. I, I really don't understand that at all. But, you know, the Will Ponds are stupid, so who cares? All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of From My Point of View. Tomorrow, the NBA draft. Probably going to write a blog on it. We'll see. Um, I've been writing blogs about a couple movies I plan on writing one about Euphoria. It's a new show on HBO with Zendaya. Apparently, it's pretty good um, and accurate, so we'll see. I probably might bust out a blog on that and on the draft and how that shakes up. 
Everyone pray that the Knicks take R.J. Barrett and don't make a rash decision on anybody else. Cough, cough, Darius Garland. Please give us R.J. Barrett. Please, for the love of God. He'll put asses in the seat, man. And if that's all the Knicks are worried about, he will put asses in the seat. All right. Enjoy your weekends. And I'll talk to you guys next week.